If you have ever had a chance to walk in a forest when the autumn colors are at their peak and the gentle rain makes them even brighter, then maybe you have been in awe. Or you stood at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and looked down the 4,000 feet to the Colorado River below. Then maybe you have been in awe. All right, well, today on In Awe by Bruce, we're excited to have Dr. Charles Page on the phone, known as the best guy to see on the worst day of your life, which we'll go into in a little bit more later. He just released his latest book, A Spoonful of Courage for the Sick and Suffering, Transforming Your Greatest Challenges into Your Biggest Blessings. The book is in a wonderful devotional style using Dr. Page's 20-plus years of practicing as a surgeon and I'll say also, I think, as a great storyteller, passing along personal experiences with the patients that he sees and who many of those seem to demonstrate a, you know, just a remarkable faith in allowing their health challenges to be blessings. These stories are truly inspirational, but also practical in guiding us to a stronger hope and faith in tough times. Dr. Page lives in Texas with his wife, Joanna, and his five children. Please welcome Dr. Charles Page. Dr. Page, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks, Bruce. I'm excited to be here with you. Starting off, you know, reading the book, and it, it's got these wonderful stories in it. And since our focus here is around awe, I was wondering, is there a story from either the ones in the book or other ones that you have that they're all, to me, bring awe in, into my life? But is there one that represents what being in awe and staying in awe or, or all of a sudden being stunned by the the wonders of God, any of those pop up as being ones that are specifically helpful to you maintaining your awe of God? That's tough. You know, being a surgeon is a very humbling thing. <clears throat> Having mm-hmm. a patient that had a complication yesterday and just she was just so appreciative of me taking care of her. And, you know, anybody else would have probably hit me over the head. But I'll tell you one thing that really sticks out. Uh, one story is this personal to me is when my mother was dying of lung cancer. My mother never smoked. I mean, she was healthier than a horse. And it was one of those things that faked everybody out because she wasn't a smoker. And she saw my, her doctor, which is one of my heroes, still is one of my heroes. And, you know, got all the studies, got x-rays. Everything was normal. Cat scan was normal. And she still had cancer. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. And here was my mother dying of lung cancer and, there was nothing I could do about it. You know I mean? I, I'm one of those fix it guys, you know, I can fix yeah. the problem. And here it is. My mother's died of lung cancer and there's nothing for me to do about it. Along came this, this other patient named Catherine and Catherine had uh, locally advanced breast cancer. In fact, she knew she had it. She knew that it was her time. And you know, if that's how God wanted to, to take her home, she was okay with that. But her kids had a different kind of had a different idea. So anyway, so she came in and to the emergency room with this locally advanced breast cancer. You know, we biopsied and everything. And what was interesting, though, is when I first kind of had this interaction with her, it was it was almost like she didn't really care about herself. You know, you kind of thought she was kind of in some kind of neglect or some kind of denial. But over time, I began to realize that that wasn't the issue at all. Catherine just really didn't think about herself. She was always thinking about other people. So here was this patient that was about my mother's age dying also of breast cancer. And um, she learned about my mother's breast cancer. And so she would come in 
every visit and bring this sack of pecans. Now, I love pecans. I'm from Texas. I love pecans. <laughs> anyway, here's this lady bringing in pecans and asking me about my mother and telling me about how she was praying for my mother when she was picking these pecans out by the Angelina River. You know, and, and it's just it just it kind of blew my mind that here was a person yeah. dying of dying of breast cancer who really gave no thought about herself. And here she was. She was concerned about someone that she didn't even know. Yeah. And she did that for people all of her life, just giving people little sacks of pecans, you know. And after she died, her daughters brought me this big sack of pecans that they went. And every year I get a sack of pecans from this lady and her family, you know, and she's, of course, now she's gone in heaven and she's. Hopefully up there with my mother, probably picking pecans. <laughs> you know, if they have pecans in heaven, I don't know what they have. But, you know, it just kind of blew my mind that someone had that kind of, or you're talking about an awe-inspiring moment. Right. Just, just that kind of not even thinking about their self and always giving for others. And, you know, I think that's the whole idea of the book is that so often we look inward with our problems. And we begin to ask all those why questions. Why me? Why God? You know, why not somebody else? And, you know, when we begin to look upward and we begin to look outward and think about how we can take this this obstacle and use it to influence other people, that's when we begin to experience that awe moment. And that blew me away that this lady cared about her doctor that much. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be imparting truth and, and knowledge yeah. and encouragement. And here it is. She's doing all that for me. It just blew my mind. That's fabulous. Uh, good story. Such a resemblance to thinking about how it takes us off our guard, really, when people don't act the way that we think they should, and they act this different way, and we all of a sudden realize that that comes from someplace beyond the human strength and the human norm, right? It comes from God. Absolutely. And, and you, you touch on that a lot in your book, which I really like. Um, before we go any further, though, I probably should go back to the one big question your book begins with uh, a story by a friend who, who calls you the uh, best guy to see on the worst day of your life. So maybe, <laughs> maybe flesh that out a little bit more for us. Well, I'm a general surgeon, you know, I'm the guy that you hope you never have to see, you know, mm -hmm. but hopefully you're glad to see when I, when I come around. So, I mean, I see a, I see a lot of bad things. I mean, you know, if you're yeah. in a car wreck and you bust your, bust your pelvis or break your neck or, ruptured spleen or if you have colon cancer or breast cancer or if you're in the in the emergency room with belly pain i'm the guy that that you want to see so it's funny i tell people i'm the best guy to see on the worst day of your life but my wife is the best person to see any day of your life <laughs> really and every everybody loves my wife she's the greatest person on the planet and and so we go to places like we'll go to you know like a like a baseball game or something everybody just kind of you know, they kind of hoard around my wife and they don't know what to do with me. They just kind of see me and they go the other direction. So, oh, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. You know, so but uh, what's really neat about my my job is that I've been able to see how people deal with their problems, their, their difficult circumstances. And and I've seen some remarkable people do some amazing things, you know, just ordinary people that you would never really hear their story or know about. But just it's so inspiring. What is it you see that, that kind of helps them have that attitude? What's their focus? What are their characteristics or traits that they seem to express? Well, like you said, Bruce, it's faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's really, it's it's in faith something greater than, than, than ourselves. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that when we go through difficult times and difficult circumstances that, you know, God's presence becomes closer than 
it's almost palpable. Like it says in um, like the 46th Psalm, you know, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in time of trouble. You know, he's there. It's just like he's just so much more present in those times. I, I think God gives us a special measure of grace. You know, mm-hmm. we probably, you know, if we weren't going through that difficult circumstance, we would never respond in that way. Yeah. But God, but God somehow knows what we need and uh, gives us what we need to just do amazing things. I was just going to say, just it's always that verse from James that, <laughs> that throws me because it's not my natural response. And yet it's, it's the response God can give us through the spirit is considered all joy when you encounter yes. various trials and you go, hold on, what? You know, and, and Jesus there in the upper room discourse, he said, nobody can take away from the, the joy that I give you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's because it comes from a different source. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't come from anything that this world or circumstances give us. But, you know, the great thing about the Christian faith is that yeah. we've already been given joy and patience and love and all those kind of things. You know, sometimes we, I, I come across a lot of people sometimes that are hard to love, but I already have love for them. I've just got to draw on it. That was one of the things that I really appreciated you bringing out in your book, uh, because I think a lot of times, you know, even I'm listening to pastors or church prayers or things like that. So much of it centers around, give us this, uh, bring this. And yet, you know, as you make a good point of, we already have those things. God gave us those things. He put his Holy Spirit inside of us to give us that ability to forgive, to uh, all the grace that we need, the power to be able to, it says power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. So maybe flesh that out a little bit more um, from people that don't realize maybe that they have really what God has given them. Well, I mean, I believe the scriptures teach us that everything we need has been given to us based mm-hmm. upon the completed work of Christ. It may not be a, a pink Cadillac, you know, or uh, <laughs> winning the lottery or whatever, but everything we need to fulfill the purposes that God has for us has been given to us. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of a story. So I, I do some mission work and I, I, I teach some residents over in Africa in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. And there's this one hospital called, called Bongalo, and I was covering for some surgeons and I just got there and my first couple of nights there and I was still having jet lag. And I got this call from Olivia. He's a resident. He's like an intern. So basically he's like a medical student. that's just kind of been out for a year. And he, he called me and he said, you know, we be mercy Buku, you know, Dr. Chuck, we've got this lady's stabbed herself with a machete in the armpit. Uh, this is like two o'clock in the morning, you know, which you can imagine in Africa, a vascular injury like that is a catastrophe. You know, because it's hard to get blood transfusions and everything. So as I'm walking down, I'm trying to figure out, and I get down there. Think about it. You know, if you have a ruptured or a lacerated blood vessel in the arm, you can always put a tourniquet on it. But up in the armpit, there's not. So here I I get there. I come up and there's this 80-year-old lady. She's hosing from this laceration in her armpit. And and Olivier is holding pressure on it. And there's no anesthesia. The circulator is over. I mean, this is a real story. She's over in the corner about to go to sleep. I, I feel like a football coach. I just want to grab her by the face mat and go, wake up. This is bad, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> and so, of course, I can't do that. First of all, I don't speak French or Hossa. So it was a total fiasco. Anesthesia comes in in flip-flops. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and he looks at the, takes one look at the patient. He turns around and leaves. I, I didn't know it, but he was going to get everything that he needed to, to do the case. But um, it was a total fiasco. And so here it is in this crazy moment. And Olivier 
he's just almost out of medical school, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's really excited about the case. And I realized this is not going to be a good scenario. I began asking for things. You know, do we have a, do we have proline suture? Do we have vascular clamps? And he brings out these huge vascular clamps like you would use to like clamp the aorta or something. I mean, the, the vessel in the axillary artery is about the size of your pinky finger. You know, it's really kind of a delicate surgery. Right. There's no resources. We don't have anything. Uh-huh. You come to find out, we don't even have a scrub nurse. It's me and Olivier. And so here it is. I'm like, and, my, and my blood pressure is rising the whole time. And Olivier stops. He says, wait, we have to switch. He has to go scrub in while I'm holding pressure. And he says, we need to pray. And I was like, this is not the time to pray, Olivier. This is the time to uh-huh. get to work. And Olivier just makes this real simple prayer. He says, you know, I love you, Lord, my strength. You know, that's from son. And, and so it came my turn to scrub. And when, when I went to scrub, I, I was thinking, you know, I love, where did that come from? You know, that's the Psalm 18.1. You know, I love you, Lord, my strength. It was David's request, just tell mm-hmm. me how God was the strength. And I started thinking about that. I mean, how did David, how did David kill Goliath with that slingshot? And, and the point was, you know, he saw Aubrey of his armor and all that. And people talk about well, that wasn't his his deal or whatever. But I really believe it's because David knew the source of his strength. Mm-hmm. And then I began to think about that. And I began to think about Moses. How did Moses do what he did? You know, God, God said to Moses, Moses, what have you got in your hand? Yeah. And it was a stick. Stick, that's right, yeah. And with that stick, Moses... Moses took a whole nation and he did, did all the 10 plagues. I mean, he put the stick in the water. He rose the stick. All the things that Moses did with that little stick. And it was because God was the source. And, and so often we focus on our resources. We focus on what we have financially. You know, do we have money in the bank or not have money in the bank? And yeah. do we have? And, and when, when we really realize that God is our source and that he's going to give us everything that we need, I, that was just a real kind of a, Life-changing moment for me. Realize, yeah. and I don't always get it right, Bruce, but just realizing that, man, if God is our source, He's going to supply everything that we need. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're expressing one of the things that's important there is having a teachable heart. Yeah. You know? Well, sometimes God has to hit me over the head with a hand. But you know, but but the, but the great thing about that story is, is that I don't know how it happened, but somehow we that lady left the hospital. Wow. We sold her already. I mean, this was in primitive, I mean, super primitive type yeah. situation, you know, and I'm just an average surgeon, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, but I learned the lesson that God is my source. And so often we think about our job or we think about whatever. And, and uh, when, when we really kind of realize that, that God's going to give us what we need when we need patience, he's going to give us patience. You know, if we, if we ask for it, you know, mm-hmm. but we are, have it you know if we ask god help me to appropriate what you've already given me and that's an important thing for us to remember so in these incidences that you write in the book have you seen effect upon those around you because hearing your story and know how they've affected you and how you're thinking about them what about the other people that are around you are they seeing some of this they get to witness much of what's going on and is it affecting anybody else around you i'm just curious yeah well you know a lot of people in my office get to meet these people and know these people too. So yeah, I mean, they, it rubs off on them too. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think one of the great things about my, my work, I mean, there's a lot of medicine's broken right now as far as every, and it's really frustrating to get up every day and try to do what I do. Yeah. Not, not complaining, but, but one of the great things about being a doctor is I get to realize that, man, 
when I start throwing a pity party, I realize, man, there's a lot of people that have it a whole lot worse than I do. And uh, I see that every day. Anything particular that uh, as you're doing that, that draws you back other than other people have it worse? Is there anything else that strikes you that you go, oh, come on, come on, wake up? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I just, you know, we all have problems and we all have issues and obstacles and stuff. And and when I see people who are really suffering, who mm-hmm. like the lady I had to take back to surgery yesterday, did a perfect surgery on her. And uh, six hours later, she coughed and popped a stitch out and started bleeding. And I had to take her back. And Oof. she was just the most thankful person on the planet. She was like, and before the surgery, she said, doctor, would you pray for me? Because I was one of those things. I, I, I guess I didn't pray for her earlier. And I stopped and prayed for her, but she was just so appreciative. And I was like, wow, this lady's dying and still got a good attitude. Right. She could have died from the situation and she and she did fine. I mean, we did her surgery, fixed her, and she went home today. But, I mean, just that kind of attitude. It really kind of changes my, it really adjusts my attitude, my perspective about things when I'm around these people. Mm. So what are your hopes for the book as far as other people go? You know, I just want to encourage people. I want to, I want to draw people back to faith. And I want to open a conversation with mm-hmm. people about faith in their most difficult circumstances. And that's one of the things, especially in medical school, they told us, you know, don't talk to people about your faith. You know, there's mm-hmm. just certain things that you don't share. And I've realized that that's really a bunch of bunk. You know, there's a lot of studies out there that show that 90% of patients want their doctor to pray with them. Wow. 90%. You know, and there's a lot of studies that show that people who have faith are more likely to do better. In fact, I was reading a recent study about some ladies that was done in Iowa studying people who went to church and people who didn't have a faith community. And those yeah. older adults who had a faith community, man, they they were like, it was profound. It was like 86% of them or something like that were more likely to live like 12 more years than people who were not in the faith community. Wow. So there's a, a big impact that faith makes on our health. But just kind of drawing people back to their faith in difficult times. I really believe learning to see the opportunities in our suffering. The suffering does bring opportunities that we don't we don't typically think about because we're so introspective and so inward focused. Yeah. Anything that helped you as far as making the connection with these things in front of you that turn into stories that have to do with uh, they're great metaphors for applying Christian principles. Anything that caught you to got you thinking like that, or do you feel like you were kind of just born like that, where you can take a situation and turn it into a connection of a story? Well, some of these things, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to process these things myself. A lot of times, I get up in the morning and I'm, you know, having my devotion and begin writing and thinking about this in my life, or you know, sometimes it's I need an illustration when I'm when I'm sharing with our senior adults at church. Mm-hmm. You know, so I need a, I need a story. And so there's a lot of different reasons for that. But um, no, I mean, I don't think it comes naturally. But what, what's so neat in my profession, a lot of things about medicine, one of the things that keeps me going in medicine is I get to be around these people and I get to get to see there's and, and every day I get a new story. You know, if I could if I could just if I just had enough time to write every day, I'd have uh, a whole lot more stories. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to work on another book, hopefully focusing more on the caregiver. So, you know, I mean, the sick and suffering are one group of people, but there's also the caregivers. You know, it's, it's not just the people that have the disease that are suffering. It's the people that are taking care of them. And, and the role reversals and all the new burdens that they have to bear and, and the loss of identity. Because now all the focus is on the sick and suffering person. No one really 
gives much attention to the person who's who's actually caring for that person. Yeah. And that's huge. Uh, yeah, huge. Definitely. I wanted to ask you that about the stories because I, I, I forget who it was uh, that said Christians have a horrible memory. And <laughs> <laughs> we forget. We Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, Bruce, we got to say it in surgery. You know, the surgeons always say, you know, well, I've, uh, I've never made a mistake, but I got a real poor memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think same kind of thing. And that's why the stories are so good, because if we can connect them to a lesson teaching from God, then I think that holds them in our memory much, much better. Do you, do you get any pushback from anybody from, you know, they obviously because you're writing books and things like that, they know your spiritual stance. I know you're a Christian. Any pushback there? Or? I haven't received some yet. One of the things, I mean, you know, I'm a surgeon in a small town, and these stories, one of the things mm-hmm. I'm concerned about is these are, I've changed, hopefully I've tweaked the stories enough and changed the scenario and the circumstances enough so that people still have confidentiality. I, I, I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings right? You know, by telling the story that may offend them. But that's the main thing I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I've got pretty tough skin. The book's just been out a week, so the word really hasn't got out completely yet. You know, so okay. we'll see what happens. Hopefully, people won't be offended by the stories. But I do think, you know, God's truth is God's truth. Folks, maybe if they're a little offended by it, the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a medical stories, but also faith stories, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe we need to have that discussion. I mean, maybe we need to bring that discussion. And maybe we need to be more open about our our faith and our spirituality especially when we're sick. It's such a time for that need for that. And uh, like you said, if, if the proof is showing up that you have a community of faith and the, and the faith and the belief and a different point of view helps people, then gosh, I would think that'd be so important. You know, one story though I was thinking of with that was one of the ones you wrote about was the uh, woman who was schizophrenic. Oh, and, Mildred. Yes, sir. Yeah. So maybe you can tell that story because I, th- I don't know. I just I thought that was very interesting because somebody did look in and not think you were on the right mark. <laughs> yeah, so so Mildred, so they called me in the emergency room to see Mildred, and uh, the story was she had swallowed a bunch of razor blades. And so I went into the room, and she was talking to the wall. I mean, she was all over the place. And, you know, I looked up on the x-ray, and there was this x-ray of these, of these spoons that she had swallowed. And so it was a real short conversation. You know, we went in, and we put Mildred to sleep, and we – lasso the spoons out with a scope and took her spoons out. Well, sure enough, about a week later, Mildred bounced back to the ER. You know, she's a frequent flyer. And, you know, once again, talking to her buddies, you know, hey, to the wall. And this time she had swallowed some razor blades. You know, I had to go in and try to get those razor blades out with a, with a scope and send her back to, the, to where she was. And then about a week later, once again, now the psychiatrist, her psychiatrist called me and said, hey, doc, she swallowed some batteries. Is that bad? <laughs> you know, so once again, so this time when I when I saw Mildred, I began to really kind of try some reverse psychology on her. And I said, Mildred, you know, and started talking to her voice. Mildred, this, these, these guys aren't your friends. Real friends don't do this to her, you know. And, and so Mildred started to agree with me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're right, man. Real friends wouldn't tell me to swallow razor blades. You know, why are you doing that? So we started attacking her. And unbeknownst to me, the whole emergency room is kind of watching me, kind of talking to Mildred and talking to her voices. You know, kind of getting <laughs> So anyway, but the story was that we all hear these voices, these lies that fill our head. 
Yeah. And, you know, and having a filter to be able to distinguish the good voices from the bad voices, the truth from the lies is so important. And I think that's that's huge because you know, we all have naysayers. You know, even in my yeah. book, I've had naysayers. Some people, some of my good friends, I tell them I've written a book, another book, and they're like, oh, my goodness, not again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we all have naysayers and we've got to listen to the truth. Right. I want to pull that out so people could hear a story and, and know kind of what's in there for the book. And it's those type of scenarios and then tying them into what you learn from them that is or, you know, seeing them and, and can tie into God's word. That's so important for us today. Uh, any, anything else uh, that you'd like to say about your book or what you're doing? I know you've done a lot with sleep and you're concerned about sleep. We were talking about that before we right. uh, started the conversation here. Anything else you'd like to say to any of the people listening? Well, I think, you know, when we're going through difficult circumstances, we're all going to go through difficult circumstances. The scriptures tell us that, that we're all going to count it all joy, as you mentioned, when, you know, when we come into difficult times. But so often we focus on our feelings, the way that we feel. You know, we feel alone. And one of the things that really helped me early on when someone told me about facts, faith, and feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. so often... If we let, if we put our feelings in the front, that our feelings drive where we're going, we have a train wreck. But if we, if we put the facts first, and then we place our faith on the facts, and then let our feelings follow, it makes all the difference in the world. And so, when we're going through a difficult circumstance, we feel alone. You know what I'm saying? We feel like we're the only right. person. We feel like we're the only person on the planet that's going through this. And that's kind of one of the ideas of the book. The book reminds us that hey, there's a great cloud of witnesses of people that have went through difficult health challenges. Mm-hmm. And so first of all, we're not alone because we have a great cloud of witnesses. We're not alone because God lives within us. Even right. if nobody shows up at the hospital, he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. So we feel alone, but, the, but that's not the fact. The fact is just the opposite. It talks about in Romans how nothing can separate us from God. Death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come. You know, nothing can pre- separate us, the Christian, from God's presence within us. So, you know, we feel alone. We feel afraid. We're afraid of kind of what's going to happen. You know, we're afraid of all the changes that our sickness is going to bring. And we need to remember that we have nothing to fear because we don't know, you know, who holds what, what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds our hand. We don't have to fear the loss of control, you right. know, because, because we never were in control to begin with. You know, God's in control. So just all those things, focusing on our feelings can get us into a lot of trouble. You know, we feel confused. You know, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't explain that. No one's ever going to be able to give you give us a good explanation for why we suffer on this side of eternity. But we know that God has a purpose. I mean, yeah. there is a purpose for our for our suffering, and we may never know what it is. And you know, we feel inadequate. We feel like we can't. We just don't have the strength to go through this. And that's like what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, when God's when God's our source. In a sense, we are inadequate. We can't do it on our own. But in a sense, when God is our source, we have an adequacy that God gives us if we'll just draw on it. Focusing on the facts and yeah. then having faith in the facts and then letting our feelings follow. And so often man, our feelings just overwhelm us. Yes, so true. I was just, you know, as you were saying that, I, I couldn't help but think Paul, who went through so much, and yet he still says in all those things, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And it reminded me of the woman that 
was there with your uh, mother with the breast cancer. And here she is focusing on her and you and passing on what she could. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and that's what and that's what the book is about. It's about going out and comforting other people. You know, that word comfort in the New Testament. Now, I'm not a theologian. OK, but, yeah. the, you know, the word doesn't mean you know, we think of comfort and we think of the word like pacify, like you comfort yeah. about it. I give them a pacifier or a lollipop or something. But that's not what comfort means in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Comfort means to strengthen, to strengthen yeah. them in the midst of their other circumstances. And, right. and, and that's what. I want people to get from the book that God is our strength. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you for spending this time with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Again, a, a Spoonful of Courage for the Sick and Suffering by Dr. Charles W. Page. You can pick that up. We'll put a link on the website to your website, right? And then God bless you and thank you for taking all this time. Thanks. It was a lot of fun, Bruce. All right. Take care.